So it's my privilege to introduce Todd and Crystal um, Wolzniak to you. You can, you can come up if you want. <laughs> Todd and Crystal are BGC uh, missionaries that Calvary started supporting in 2018 when they were getting ready to go to Nepal. <laughs> but that fell through because of COVID and in a roundabout way, the Lord opened a door for them to become directors of Indian Life Ministries. This ministry uses literature as a low-cost, effective means of reaching Native people across the North American continent with the good news of the gospel. Welcome here at Calvary, and we look forward to hear from you. Thank you, guys. After that introduction, I think we can just go sit down. Like, <laughs> you did a good job, Henlo. <laughs> well, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, such a pleasure to be back here at Calvary Baptist in beautiful Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. And uh, wow, we had quite the night. Uh, and um, we just want to praise God that we're here. Uh, Crystal had uh, some problems during the night with her. She's got a popped out rib, and the muscles were spasming. So. About four o'clock this morning, I was like, Crystal, are we going to the hospital? And uh, she says, nope, we're going to fight through this. And we prayed and prayed over Crystal and we reached out to our prayer team. And, and so here we are. So praise God. Amen for that. Your last song that we sang in worship, this, the one um, verse that really struck me, I'm just like, whisper, God. All we need is a whisper. We don't need this big, grandiose movement of God, right, to identify him as such. Only God can whisper and push back darkness. It's my prayer that he, he would just whisper in this church and push back darkness, this community in this country. Okay, here. Well, we're, uh, well, we like to call ourselves Team Warzniak, and, um, you know, Warzniak, we like to say, you know, how do you, you see that name, it's, it's a bit of a mouthful, and we like to say, well, we like, if you break it down, we like to say, we like to fight wars on our knees, and we act. You can drop the T, Warzniak. So, um, and that, <laughs> how do you say it? Well, uh, Henlo said it really good, actually, so good, good job, and we're, uh, you coached them? Okay, good. We're, we're, um, we're with the Global Ministries Personnel. And next slide there, yeah. Baptist General Conference of Canada. Uh, it's a, Like I said, it's a pleasure to be back. And I saw Jennifer, Henlo. I even saw Randy here. God, hey, Randy. God bless you, man. Nice to see you. And um, yeah, so we're going to uh, talk a little bit about our, our journey today. Uh, of course, uh, we were, last time we were here that we spoke in front of the church, we were talking about our, uh, our, our call from the Lord to go to Nepal. And uh, well, a few things happened in between now and then, and Crystal might just want to share a little bit of that. Yeah, so March of 2020, we had one-way tickets booked for the family of four, us and our two kids, two kids, um, to go to Nepal. Our son wanted to turn 16 with his friends and with grandma and grandpa, who they have an amazing relationship with. And we said, sure. Your birthday's March 23rd. He's now an adult officially. But at the time, you know, we said, okay, we're going to book our tickets two days after you turn 18. Would you like to know that that was five days after they closed the border? 
<laughs> yeah, so we get a refund, full refund on our tickets. Uh, yeah, we had to fight a little bit, but we got it. And uh, Todd was calling the, the, con the embassy and the counselor for Nepal in, in uh, Ottawa. And uh, no, you guys are staying, you're not going anywhere. Okay, well, this is gonna pass soon. So like seven days, we'll go again. Should we rebook our tickets? No, let's just wait. Well, when seven days turned into, you know, seven weeks and then three months and four months and five months, we were like, Lord, what are you doing? On the next slide, you can see that it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. Hello, we were doing that, like we were leaving. We were going to this land that God showed us to go to. I mean, we were praying on the deck one night and Todd was just, yeah, you wanna say this part? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person, I'm like, God, you know, I want you to show me. Lord, you work in the supernatural, you can just show us things and appear in front of us and, and, and I get all that, I know you can do that. And so I was like, God, you know, if we're going to Nepal, I want you to show me that we're going to go there. And uh, so uh, we prayed, and it was in our backyard, go into the house, sit down on the couch. The kids are watching a movie, and I just sat down on the chair and looked up on the screen, and the words, Kathmandu, Nepal, showed up on the screen. Like, like oh, and Chris looked over, and she goes, see? I go, yep, I see it. Okay, Lord, that's, that's interesting. And uh, so we were, you know, and, and there was many other things that were confirmed to us that we were going to Nepal. And, you know, and, and in hindsight, I never did ask the Lord how long we were going to go to Nepal. I never asked that question because we did end up going to Nepal. And in 2019, we were there for uh, basically a scouting trip. Just to, we had our apartment set up there, you know, and in the meantime, as we're getting ready, we moved out of our house. I resigned from my career. We had the going away party for the kids. We were living in the church manse. And then plane tickets canceled, COVID. Lots of, lots of nights of struggling. Yeah. Um, who else has ugly cried when things haven't worked out? <laughs> I know you know what that means. Um, lots of ugly crying. We believed God on the next slide when he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Um, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. Like we knew this, and yet we're thinking, what are you doing? Like we heard from you, now I feel insecure and look like we really didn't hear from the Lord. Like there was all of these doubts and things going through my mind. And then somebody walks up onto our deck one day, knocks on the door, and he says to me, you know, I don't think that you guys would be willing to stay in Canada if you hadn't got ready to be willing to go to Nepal. And I was like, what? Okay. So then we remember this conversation that we had with Kenny and Millie Jackson. And there are indigenous friends and mentors. And he's the director of the Native Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. And two years, so like 2018, he gives us an offer letter, literally. He walks up to us in church and says, guys, you know, I know you have a heart for serving the Lord. If you ever need work, we'll use you in Native ministry. And we were like, thanks, Kenny, but we're going to Nepal. 
Fast forward, 2020, we're reminded of this letter. We give Kenny a call and he says, wouldn't you know, we have been praying for a couple to join us in native ministry in Canada. Would you consider this? So we think about this, what he's telling us, what this friend says to us on our deck. God used COVID to keep us in Canada. We thought that we were going to be serving the indigenous people in Nepal. Like we thought we were gonna be serving alongside them. They invited us to come. But what we get to do is serve alongside the indigenous people of Canada and the United States. And we are thrilled when people ask us how, how it's going. We say, well, when we started this ministry almost well over two years ago now, we weren't even in preschool. We were like infants, right? We feel like we've graduated into preschool and maybe just started kindergarten. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I even passed preschool yet, so I just think, no, but uh, yeah, kidding aside, you know, God just used that. I mean, God just so wonderful and beautiful and uh, how he, you know, when Crystal talks about that guy coming up on our deck, and that was a very profound moment for us. And, and I had to sit back and I was just like, wow, you know, that is so true. Like, I had a great career. You know, I, if, if somebody would have said, hey, Indigenous Ministries in Canada, okay, great, you know, I'll keep working full time at my, my job as a bank manager, a bank manager and a, a banker and, and, you know, lots of bright prospects, good future. And uh, yeah, you know, but, you know, God, God doesn't work that way. He wants all of us, 100% of us. And he, his plans are not my plans, that's for sure. And did we ever learn that? And so, um, yeah, we called Kenny, and they've been praying for a couple, and, and the board of directors was just, like, all over it. And then, of course, we've been raising support with the BGC, and we're like, oh, well, how that's going to go? And, uh, wow, let me tell you, the BGC was just like, yes, this is great. I love it. Oh, they were so on board with it. Everything just fell into place perfectly. Yeah, and, and there it was, and, and so here we are, and I'm like, oh my gosh, so what is Indian Life Ministries? Well, uh, the, one of the best ways to describe it is that it's a publication literature ministry. Now, our mandate is up there. It's uh, the vision of Indian Life Ministries is to restore hope, healing, and honor to the indigenous peoples of North America through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And wow, what a, what a, what a statement that is. So when we talk about being in preschool with Indigenous Ministries, not only is Indigenous Ministries a preschool, this is a publication literature ministry. At least it was at that time. And since then, God's just been using this ministry to, to branch out into other things. And we'll talk a little bit about that. I know. I, I, I'm so, I, it's, yeah, here's, here's Chris Lovetter. Yeah. Just give me the mic. <laughs> so Indian Life Ministries is like an iceberg. That's how we talk about Indian Life Ministries. 10% of the iceberg is above the surface of the water, right? 90% of it is where the iceberg actually lives, and that's under the water, the waterline. On the surface, Indian Life Ministries is a newspaper publication ministry. We print newspaper, like the newspaper, Intertribal Life newspaper, and we've got over 20 books printed. We're currently, like, right now, 
developing a 365-day devotional written entirely by indigenous followers of Christ. It doesn't exist. And yet, yeah, and we were like, Kenny, why doesn't this exist? Well, I don't know. Make it exist. Okay, so we're working towards doing that. But, you know, yes, we're a publication literature ministry, but below the surface, we're a prayer ministry. We're a relationship ministry, discipleship ministry, a couple's getaway ministry, and a youth retreat ministry. We'll talk about those again. We're a prison correspondence ministry. We're an attending and hosting of conferences, jamborees, and tent meetings ministry. I think just in that alone would be 90% of the iceberg. We're getting ready to host a conference in September in North Battleford, and we had been praying about a theme for this conference, and I said to Todd on the way out here, in everything that we've discovered with Indian Life Ministries, we've not discovered like a key verse that frames everything we do with Indian Life Ministries. And we said to each other, stories. Mm -hmm. God is a storyteller. He is a God who enters into your stories and honors you in your story and creates space for you to share your story. In Psalm 107, verse 2 and 3, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. And then Revelation 12, 11, They triumphed over him, so over the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What is a testimony? It's a story. I have not met one indigenous person who is not a storyteller. And it's beautiful. We have so much to learn from them. And how interesting that news, our newspaper is filled with stories and our books are story focused. When Crystal talks about storytelling in, in the indigenous culture, and I know we all like a good story. I've always grown up liking a good story, but I was never always a good storyteller per se. So um, here's a quick story. <laughs> the uh, newspaper is 50% gospel truth, 50% positive native news. It's not a political newspaper. It's a, it's a newspaper of encouraging testimonies, uh, giving encouragement, uh, good examples, and so forth. And and uh, yeah, one back, one slide there. Oh yeah, go forward one slide. <laughs> what she said. So um, uh, basically, it was like, okay, well, you know, Crystal, we need we need people to write in the paper, right? And so we have a section of the paper called Council Speaks. And we throw out some challenging questions, and we have some wonderful Indigenous Christian writers that'll that'll share their thoughts on that on that specific question. And early on, I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, we, we need to call some folks and introduce ourselves. So I'd, I'd call up uh, a gentleman and could be in Quebec or Ontario. And I'd say, hi, I'm Todd. I'm with Indian Life News. Oh, you're the new guy. Oh, okay. So for the next 10 minutes, the gentleman I'm speaking to about maybe perhaps writing in the paper is telling me his whole life story. And I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> that, usually it's just a hi, hello, how are you? And, you know. And th this guy is telling me about his, you know, who's, who's died recently in his family, that he's, 
you know, he's battling cancer, uh, very, very personal details, but in the, he's telling me a story. I said, oh, wow, that's okay, that's interesting. Pick up the phone, call the same thing. The indigenous culture, they want you, they want you to know them authentically. You know, and I'm so used previously to going to churches and, and just be, hey, how are you doing today, Todd? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Wonderful. Nope. nope. Everything's going fine. And, and, but in the indigenous culture, it's, you're really going to get to know people through their stories. So that's, that's one thing that we learned pretty early on uh, about the, uh, the, the culture. Well, the newspapers, we go to, is that the slide that we want to be at? Go back. Go, go back one slide. So the newspapers go all across the United States and Canada. They go to prisons. So every prison in North America and Canada, some institutions, um, remand centers, they get at least one free copy. They also go to hospitals. They go to drug and alcohol treatment centers. They go to band offices, friendship centers, schools, churches. Uh, we also have missionaries that will get a bulk of the papers and just go around and hand them out to reserves and, and uh, other people's houses. We have individual subscribers of the paper as well. We even have some in France and Germany. For some reason, I've still got to unpack why. They, but I think there's a library in Germany that gets a paper. Um, currently, we have a new project where um, we want to send out more papers. And so we were praying about that, and God put it on our hearts to, to, for halfway houses. And a, and a halfway house is a, like a transition space for a, a person coming out of prison. They'll, they'll live in there, and uh, hopefully from the halfway house, they'll go back into society. Uh, so we're going to be sending, uh, right now we're up to what, 400? 428 in Canada. That, that, so that, the latest edition, we, we sent a free copy to, to those places as well. And uh, if we go to the next slide, and uh, we have books. There's a whole rack of books you'll see there on the right-hand side of encouraging stories and testimonies written by Indigenous uh, folks that have, you know, overcome alcohol, overcome drug addictions, thoughts of suicide, and they explain in their books how God help them through all those things. And a lot of these books have been written over the past 30, 40 years. And Crystal said our, our latest book coming out is a 365-day devotional. Uh, so far, we've gotten probably about 20 folks that are writing into it. So that's, that's praise God for that. And uh, next slide, please. Okay. Partnerships. Ooh. Crystal loves to talk about the new partnerships. And all I say is just... just <laughs> Early on, we were like, God, you know, what, and I don't want to spill the beans about our talk a little bit later, but God, you know, what will you have us do in this ministry? You're like, what do you want us to do? And God was clearly, he just said, I want you to go and get into relationships. And we're like, oh, what does that look like? Well, we, we found out. <laughs> yeah, so this past year, we have uh, formed a relationship with the Native Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and Family Life Canada along with Indian Life Ministries. And now, together, we're hosting Indigenous Couples Getaways. So if you've heard of Family Life Canada's marriage retreats or marriage getaways, it's the same format. The difference is that they're being hosted by Indigenous speaker couples. 
and there's um, an, an indigenous worship team, Kenny and Millie, that come and sing songs, and there's a date night on Saturday night, and there's different topics about being one with each other and financial oneness and relational oneness and just all of these different topics. And so far we've hosted two indigenous couples getaways, one in Red Deer and one in Winnipeg. And we have another one coming up in Terrace. So it's like forever away from here, <laughs> like eight hours away from here in November. When they told us how far away it was, I was like, oh dear. Okay, yeah, and then in January, we're doing another one in Thunder Bay. So that's a new partnership since we've come on board with Indian Life. And a really cool partnership, the other one is cool too, but is with the Native Youth Conference. So when I told a new friend of mine that I would help with the Native Youth Conference, I thought that meant volunteering the day of the event. Oh no, it was literally joining the planning committee and being a part of planning it year round. So Indian Life is now on the planning committee of the Native Youth Conference, and it's where like 150 to 200 kids from 20 communities across three provinces get together at Camp Nakaman, which is just north and west of Edmonton, and they come together and they hear worship music, they hear gospel-focused messages of encouragement, there's breakout sessions, they can just be a kid and like scream down the zip line or spray paint or um, we're doing um, paintball this year. Oh Lord, like there's just, it's so super cool you guys and we get to be a part of something like that. It's incredible. Would you like to talk about the prison correspondence yeah. ministry? And, and by the way, there's always plenty of opportunities for, for if God puts it in your heart to volunteer for, for with Indian Life Ministries or to do some of these things, we are, as we develop more partnerships, there is a, we're finding a need for more volunteers. So if you want to come up to Camp Nakaman, it's May long weekend, we can definitely use some volunteers up there. And uh, so it's, that's a wonderful conference. Oh, people were coming to Jesus through that conference. And. Early on in this ministry, uh, probably because uh, we really started full time in February of 2021, I was like, God, you know what? Can, you know, and I'm like this. I'm like, God, I want you to show me how are people coming to Jesus Christ, and and how how are people being saved through this ministry? Because at that time, it was really just focused on the newspaper and the books. That was it. Yeah. One dear lady working in Winnipeg on a, on a walker. She did the best she could to, to keep the ministry going, but she wasn't able to travel or do anything. And so I was like, God, you know, can you show me how, how this is working? Because I'm really not seeing this. And so, so uh, I go into the office, and the phone's ringing. Pick up the phone. Hi, Todd, Indian Life Ministries. The guy at the other end of the line is like, hey, is, can I speak to Rilla? So part, part of, just some context with this, part, part of the, what we have in the paper is the um, people can write in and they can write a letter. So usually the folks that are writing in are they're prisoners and uh, they'll write in to our prayer ministry and asking for prayer, you know, encouragement, some books sometimes. So this guy on the other end of the line, he's like, can I speak to Rilla? Now, Rilla is this dear lady. She's 96 years old, lives in Winnipeg. She's been uh, one of our prison letter writer correspondents for over 40 years. So she, so the letters come in. She gets some of the letters. We, we're up to 10 prison letter writer correspondents now. But she'll write back, 
and they'll write back and forth. And so he said, can I speak to Rilla? I'm like, well, you, you can write into Rilla, uh, and, and you know, she's not in the office. He's like, well, uh, you know, I just want to share a story with her. And I said, oh, that's interesting. He says, can I, do you have some time? I'd like to share my testimony with you. I was like, sure. So all those years ago, he says, I was in a, in a biker gang. You know, that one that starts with an H? And this man's calling from Texas. And he says, you know, I ended up in prison. And while I was in prison, I saw your newspaper in there. Well, at the time, the paper was called Indian Life. It was called Indian Life newspaper for over 40 years. Actually, it was a magazine turned into a paper. And anyways, long story. But, and that recently, it's turned into intertribal life. But he said, I saw the paper. I picked up the paper, and I saw your prayer circle in there. And this is what, what it's called. And you can you know, write a letter in asking for prayer and encouragement, books, and so forth. He says, I wrote a letter, and I never thought anybody would write back to me. But Rilla wrote back. And, uh, you know, I thought first, that was the first thing I thought was pretty amazing that somebody actually wrote back to me and cared enough to take the time to do that. And he said, over the years, we wrote back and forth. And she, she, he said, she was never judgmental about my situation. And she was always encouraging. And eventually, and I'm just going to give you the Coles notes of the conversation because it was over an hour long. But eventually, um, you know, she challenged me to remember some scripture. And it was Psalm 23. And I remembered Psalm 23. And she would challenge me to remember more scripture, more scripture. You know, or, you know this is years in, into the back and forth of the writing of the relationship. So, you know, eventually I gave my life to Christ. And it turns out I was a bit of an evangelist because my cellmates, I was preaching the gospel to them and they were coming to Christ. And he said, over the years, there was even a prison guard <laughs> that came to Jesus. And after 20 years of being incarcerated, I came out of prison and uh, down there in, in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area there, and I started my own ministry. I was, oh, it's God's ministry, but I started a ministry. It's like a Bikers for Christ ministry, and you see these guys, you know, them think they're in Vancouver, and they're all over North America, and they, you know, they just go around preaching the gospel and, and, and using their skills and their gifts that God's given them to do that. And he said, I also started a youth ministry, and you get kids off the street, and I teach them practical skills on, you know, re motorcycle repair and, and things like that. And he said, I just wanted to share that with Rilla, that, that that's what happened in my life. So, you know, the day before, I was like, okay, God, I want you to show me how people come into Christ through this ministry. And there it is, right? Okay, wow, God, you know, thanks for that. And, you know, but God knows me pretty well, and he knows I'm a little bit stubborn. So the next day, I go in, and I'm in the office, and the phone rings, and I go, hi, Todd, Indian Life Ministries. Can I talk to Rilla? I said, oh, no, you can't talk to Rilla. You can. She says, well, I want to share a story with her. And I said, oh, wait a second. This guy's in Florida, okay, and in prison for uh, drugs smuggling or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but he says, I just wanted to share my story I wrote in, Rilla wrote back, she was never judgmental, she was always encouraging, gave my life to Christ, left prison, started a ministry. Okay, Lord, I got it. How's this ministry? <laughs> How's this ministry? And that's just one, one part of the ministry. And uh, so when we uh, you know, became the directors, we had, I think we had about five or six prison letter writers, now we're up to 10. Uh, it's volunteer. We even have some folks here in, um, in uh, Coquitlam uh, writing for us now, the, the, the Fast family. Uh, God bless them. They're, they're fantastic. 
and they uh, and, and Arlene writes for us, uh, uh, and so that's that's pretty amazing. But uh, here you go. You know, our favorite letter that we received from the prison letter writing correspondence is also the shortest letter, and it says, "I gave my life to Christ. Now what?" And we're like, we can tell you now what. <laughs> you know, we can in, uh, enroll them. We have a partnership with a correspondence school that will um, send them correspondence Bible, like Bible study material. They send it back, it gets marked. They send them another course, they send it back, it gets marked. So that's one way that we are involved in um, discipleship through this prison letter writing ministry. The Native Youth Conference last year on the next slide there. Yeah, that's Ladea. When I met Ladea, she was coming out of one of the sessions and she just had tears streaming down her eyes and she was really trying to pretend like she was okay and you know, covering her eyes. And um, I went up to her and I said, you know, honey, is everything okay? And, and um, she eventually said to me, you know, it's not okay, I'm not supposed to be here. And I said, well, what do you mean? You're not supposed to be here. And she said that six months ago, she was involved in a horrific car accident with her, her friend was driving and she wasn't completely sober. And they were um, from in her community and her friend almost died, but she should have, is what she's telling me. And she said after that accident, she was having these dreams that she was walking around in complete darkness, like, Imagine like the darkest night, no sun, or sorry, no moon, no street lights, nothing, complete darkness. And she said, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I was afraid of this darkness, like it was just black. And she woke up petrified, and she said that she felt like the Lord was telling her if she doesn't change her life, she's going to be walking in complete and utter darkness her entire life. Three days before last year's conference, a missionary invites her to this conference, and she says to me, I don't know why I'm here, but I guess I'm supposed to be here. And, uh, you know, I encouraged her and just kind of watched out for her during the rest of the weekend, and then Saturday night we had a like a bonfire, fire pit. And it's a time where the girls can go to one fire pit and the boys can go to another, and they can ask questions about that weekend's topics in the darkness, so that the fight, the darkness kind of hides who's asking the questions, so it just opens people up a little bit. And uh, Millie, one of our friends, gets up there and says, you know, ladies, our people are dying. You need to start making better choices, or there's going to be nobody left after our generation dies. You need to make better choices, and we need leaders from you. Some of you are leaders and you need to be called out. So I get up and I stand beside Millie and I say, you know, Millie, there's a young girl sitting around the fire pit today that doesn't think she deserves to be here. And I can see already that she is a leader and meant to be at this conference, meant to be alive and it's not a mistake. And I don't know if she is courageous enough to come up and talk about her story, but I want you to remember that courage isn't the absence of fear, it's doing it even though you're afraid. And if you would, would you come and share your story? And I just kind of let it sit pregnant for a couple seconds, and then I hear her say, ah, I, I, I'll do it. 
So she comes up and she starts sharing her story. And she says, I've made a decision to come back to the Lord. You guys have to start making better decisions. And I look at her and I say to her, Ledea, Millie was wrong. Not all of your people are dying. You are a leader and you can help these people make better choices. And uh, since then, she's moved off of the um, Sun Child community up in central Alberta and she's living in Calgary and um, she's trying to find her way. So if you think of it, um, just keep Ledea in your prayers. So, harking back to our prayer, you know, God, what we have is to go get into relationships. Part, part of this was for us then going to reserves, uh, going to tent meetings. And so uh, we were invited to go to this tent meeting in Siksika Nation, which is just east of Calgary. And we go to the reserve, and the uh, pastor, um, yellow old woman, is there and uh, hosting this tent meeting and so forth. And we, we get a chance to, to talk with him and met his son Stephen, and, and it was just a wonderful time of preaching and prayer. And and folks were, were coming into the tent, uh, just God was just bringing them in, and they were giving their lives to Christ and, and praise God for that. And then while we're sitting there, we, we have our kind of a, like a booth that we have set up there, and we're just talking to people, and this young native man uh, comes up and he says, I want you guys to come to my reserve. I was like, oh, of course, you know, and he says, what's well, the and Nakoda Nation in Morley, and we need you there. I was like, oh, okay. And he says, over the past year, we've had 20 of our youth die from suicide, um, drugs, alcohol abuse, murder. There is a darkness over our reserve, and we want you to come. And so that was in August, and, and three weeks later, we went to his reserve. And uh, so we're on the reserve, and, and, and this young man, his name is Kenny Hunter, came up, and he says, I just want to thank you guys for coming here. He says, you know, I sold my truck to help pay for this. And he says, it's God's anyways. I said, oh, you're right. And uh, amen for that. And, and he said, I even had to take a loan out. Because, you know, when you, when you host a conference or a tent meeting, you know, the, the, the preachers that come, I mean, they're, the singers that come, you know, it costs money. There is a cost for those things. And so Kenny sold his truck and got a loan to, to help pay for that. And I'm looking at Crystal and we have all this, this material and all these books that we, you know, there is a cost to produce all this stuff. But we just said, we're not going to sell any of this this is all God's, these are God's books, and, uh, you know, we're just going to get that material out there. And so over that course of the weekend, we gave away over 300 books. And one uh, gentleman in particular, who's an elder uh, on, on the reserve, he came up, and we have this book called White Man's Gospel. And he's like, I've heard about this book. I said, really? He says, yeah, I think... Uh, you know, I'd like to read this book and, and, and share this book. I said, sure, here, here you go. So I gave him a cop. Five minutes later, he says, can I get five of those books? I said, sure. So an hour later, he comes back, can I get five more? I said, well, what did you do with the last five? He says, well, I've been driving around the reserve giving these books to the elders. So the book's written by Craig Smith, and in the book, it talks about, you know, how to have those conversations with Indigenous people, because, you know, you start a conversation, and they're like, well, that, that's white man's religion, no good for us, and you know, residential schools, and we, you know, we can talk more at the, the table back there, but I, we don't want, you know, 
have anything to do, but the book explains how to start having a conversation. It helps, it helps having almost like a reconciliation conversation, you know, and, and understanding the culture. And, you know, and, and one thing that the book points out is, you know, first of all, Jesus wasn't white because, you know, there's the white man's religion. Well, Jesus wasn't white. He's from the Middle East. He's probably dark skinned, you know. Hmm. And, you know, Jesus was from a tribe. Hmm? Yeah, the tribe of Judah. Oh. So these are slight little ways to start having that, that conversation and pointing out some truths about the gospel. And, you know, it wasn't God that did all those horrible things in residential schools. It was man that did that and sinful. Oh. So this gentleman was going around the reserve handing these books out to all of the elders so that they could start having an understanding. And, and, and the book itself is, is probably, I would say, mandatory required reading for any indigenous person, but also any, any Anglo or any other ethnicity as well. It, it really helps start ha uh, bridging the understanding. So this, uh, and of course, uh, we're in contact with Kenny Hunter now. He's, he's a friend and uh, we, we work together and he, I think he's gonna get uh, a group of native youth to come up to the conference as well. It was the best when, you know, the second time he came back for his second set of five books, Todd says, well, what are you doing? And uh, he tells Todd, and he's like, listen, I'm not going to give you five, just take them all. So he gave him like 25 books, and he just went and continued to deliver them. He comes back a couple hours later, and he's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was great. Um, next slide, please. So this is the picture of Shane and Rosalind from the Good Fish Reserve, about an hour north of Edmonton in Alberta. And at our first Indigenous couples getaway that um, we were able to host or co-host, we were able to partner a couple to come there with somebody who wanted to sponsor them to go. It was about a $500 cost for hotel and registration. And uh, these, this couple was able to come for free. And Shane walks in and he's this like, super tall dude, super, super thin, and he's got like no muscle mass on him, and his jaw's wired shut. And we were like, buddy, what happened to you? And uh, he tells us that he had been um, drinking with some buddies in his house, and one thing led to another that started a fight, and they beat the snot out of him and lit the house on fire with him in it and left him to die. His girlfriend from the... Um, the house beside him noticed that the house was burning and ran inside and dr drug him out. And when he got to the hospital, he was put in a coma for six, three months. Okay, I was going to say six weeks, but three months. And uh, he had just been woken up like a week or two before this conference. And uh, he was really interested in coming to this to better his relationship with Rosalind. So it's, you know, meal time, and all of the speakers have gathered in the room to um, eat and pray, and Shane and Rosalind are just kind of sitting by themselves, and I look at Todd and say, we have to feed them, like, we have to bring them into this meeting to have just food with us, and uh, he tells my mom his story, and you have to remember that he's not a believer at this point. Rosalind is, but she's a believer, but not following Christ. And uh, she says to him, once you tell your story, you need to know they're going to ask if they can pray for you and put, touch, the, touch you, like lay hands on you. And he's like, yeah, whatever. 
So he tells my mom his story, and my mom goes, guys, stop. We need to pray for this young man. And I, I look at him, and I say, you know, Shane, is it okay? Can we, like, gather around you and lay hands on you? And he looks at Rosalind and starts laughing. And I was like, what are you laughing about? And he tells me what Rosalind had told her. Well, the group starts praying for him. And when we were done, he said that he literally felt this wave of electricity washing through his body. Come the end of the conference, we ask everybody to fill out um, um, feedback forms. And in it, one of the questions is, did you make a decision to say yes to Jesus during this weekend? One person made a decision to say yes to Jesus that weekend, and they happened to sign the feedback form, and it was Mr. Shane Cardinal. This is why we are incredibly grateful for churches like Calvary and for people like you guys. Like, the resources that you steward to Todd and Crystal to Indian Life Ministries through the BGC is making stories like Shane's and Rosalind's and Kenny Hunter and Ledea French Eater and the Bikers for Christ guy. Like, that money is literally being reinvested in us to allow us to do those kind of things. So you're helping these people get saved and find freedom in Christ. And we are beyond grateful for you guys. What is our vision for the future? It's actually quite simple to keep doing what we're doing. God hasn't given us a new vision. We're going to continue being in relationship with our indigenous friends. We're going to continue to walk alongside what God's doing, and we're going to continue to pick up the phone and sit for an hour while somebody tells us their story. You know, the first board meeting we hosted, you know, when you go to meetings, there's kind of a round table, how's everybody doing, catch us up. It might take, I don't know, five, ten minutes to do that. Yeah, for an hour and a half, we heard everybody's story, and it was the most refreshing time I had had serving in ministry because they were being authentic and real, and it created space for me to be authentic and real and what is going on in our family. And am I being recorded? Is this going to be live somewhere? Okay, good. Um, I just have to think now. It's really difficult sometimes. You know, I was 100% attacked last night, and as I'm talking to you, I can actually take a deep breath and not feel a shooting pain going through the muscle in my neck. <clears throat> We're going through a lot of stuff with our daughter with her mental health, like a lot. Um, our son has decided that the existence of God just doesn't make sense. My uncle was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yeah, Todd's got celiac. Our daughter's got celiac. All coming out in the last two years of serving. But we know that God is good. And even in these struggles, we, I, I know in the depth of my soul that Hannah's mental health is going to be her story and her way to talk to the other people 
that are experiencing mental health challenges. It's definitely grown more of an understanding in with people with mental health challenges and me. Yeah, amen, right? I'm very much now a proponent of if you biologically need medication for your mental health, take it. We can talk about that later. But if you biologically, it's a biological thing. God uses medication too. But he had to break that stigma in me through my daughter. And there's nights I cry for her. So I just want to thank you guys for praying for us and being involved in our ministry. And being involved in Indigenous ministry has definitely helped us be more willing to be open and real and vulnerable with the people that we're working alongside like you guys, like our Indigenous friends, like anybody else with the BGC. Um, how can you support Team Wozniak? The most important way is to please pray for us and continue to pray for us. Continue to pray for Connor and Todd and Hannah and myself and for wisdom to know what it is that God wants us to keep doing and what we need to start saying no to because we could be gone every single weekend, literally. And we have two teenagers at home. We cannot be gone every single weekend. Um, pray for God to whisper into indigenous communities for there to be freedom found in Jesus Christ. Keep giving financially. Honestly, like, your money is being used in the way that we showed you earlier, and uh, it would not be possible without it. Kenny Jackson said to us one time at the beginning that Todd and Crystal can survive without Indian Life Ministries. We'll survive. Indian Life Ministries cannot survive without Todd and Crystal right now. And that's not us being proud. He's humbled us, and we'll continue to do that. But we're doing what he's asked us to do. So we just ask you for that support, and thank you for it as well. And you can talk about us behind our backs. Not gossiping, but you can talk about us behind our backs. We give you permission. Talk about all the cool things that is happening with Indian Life Ministries. Just one note. Um, last year, we had the honor and pleasure of going to the Indigenous uh, Leadership Conference in... Rapid City, South Dakota, and um, <clears throat> there was a, a speaker there, and we went up to him, and uh, we're like, hey, you know, we're just new in Indigenous ministries, uh, do you have any advice for us on how to, you know, maybe propagate the ministry or work in the ministry, and he says, yeah, he says, you do, he says, I do, he says, you just got to love on them, oh, and that was it, that was his, that man was Will Graham, that's Billy Graham's grandson. And he's, he's doing a lot of Indigenous ministry, um, very well respected in Indigenous ministries in the United States. But just got to love on them. I'm just going to leave you with that. God bless and thank you so much. If you want to sign up for our newsletter, hear about what's going on. We have a newsletter sign up out on our table. Uh, come and check out all of the, new the newspapers are free and the Every Child Matters poster is free. All the other books are donation. And um, just come talk to us. Come say hi. We like to talk, in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs>